Hi, good afternoon again to the Road Trip Show, Road Trip South Africa show here again with Diedrich. And today we've got another guest on. We're branching out a bit. We had our first guest, Simon Green, with the uh, Blockhouses. And today we've got um, Dr. Dean Allen, best-selling author, media presenter, podcaster, historian, based in the Eastern Cape. And I came across him as the author of books called Frontierland. And Frontierland obviously being the front, the frontier area of the Eastern Cape zone. And I mean, that's such an incredibly rich historical area where so much of South Africa's history played out and some of those activities and happenings and still reverberate in our history right up to this day. But Dean, um, with your accent, uh, you're obviously not a native. I have followed one or two of your podcasts where you say you've become South African enough to support the Springboks which uh, is obviously a big tick in your favor. But uh, give us a little bit of your background. Why and why South Africa? How did you land up here and deciding to stay? Well, thank you, Diedrich. It's nice to uh, be on the podcast here. As you can probably hear, I don't have a typical uh, Eastern Cape accent. Um, I do sound like I've just got off the plane, uh, but I've actually, I was, I've actually been in South Africa since the mid-1990s, would you believe? Um, we're all friends on this podcast, so I can tell you actually what happened. I met a lady. In, in the UK, I'm from a I'm from Somerset in the country. She was an Afrikaans uh, dentist who was working for the NHS at the time. She saw something in me. I was in my mid twenties, uh, going nowhere in a, a boring office job, and she said, "Why don't you go to university?" And I and I signed up for university. The first person in my whole family, uh, and then I travelled to South Africa, and th then I realised this is where I was going to spend my university career. I ended up doing uh, an undergrad, my master's degree, and most of my PhD out of Stellenbosch University, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the history. Um, that relationship um, didn't work out, but uh, she brought me to South Africa, which was fantastic. And I knew that this was my place. I've kind of found my tribe. And yeah, you're right in saying in 2019, I was in a pub full of English rugby supporters and I woke up that morning and I'd never felt more South African. I, I supported the Springboks against my home country because I felt more... Um, more identity in terms of identified with being South African more than I did English. In fact, I probably lived here longer in my adult life than I have in England. And uh, for me, it's a country that's so complex. It's got an incredible history. And I've managed to create a little bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a, a not a niche for myself, but a role really in telling some of these incredible stories that we're going to talk about today. So you're actually sort of a latter-day 1820s Hitler. <laughs> yes, yes, and fortunately for me, um, I took the uh, I took the eighteen hour flight via somewhere. Of course, I'm not rich enough to come direct, but I wasn't on a ship for months and months. And I kind of, I kind of um, knew what I was coming to, if you know what I mean. Uh, unlike those eighteen twenty settlers that were dropped here and uh, told to get on with it. But I have felt like that. I have felt like that at times. I must admit, I have felt a little bit desperate in modern day South Africa. So I've actually uh, gone back to the UK, which I'm sure some of them would want to do. But then I decided, no, this isn't for me. I feel South African. I need the sunshine on my back. I need the energy of the South African people. And uh, so I've made peace with the fact this is where I need to make things work. Yeah, I know. Those 1820 settlers were basically dropped on the beach with a map and a spade and said, there you go. So they head vaguely that direction and go and find your farm. <laughs> now, I mean, the Eastern Cape has got such an incredible history. And I mean, so many of our almost iconic happenings, really, that you can trace back with our history. I mean, you just got to go look at Slachter's Neck, where we, where we mentioned that in a podcast a couple of days ago. You know, that was sort of almost the start 
of the, I don't know, opposition to British rule, you, you, you could call it, you know, the rebellion, if you want to call it that. I mean, it was like a whole 10 people that rebelled, but uh, <laughs> it's still kind of a rebellion. And, but yeah, but why particularly the Eastern Cape? I mean, no one, you know, conventional history and what have you, it's always about the Great Trek and about the Foot Trekkers and about, you know, the National Party and all the rest. And the Eastern Cape sort of tends to fall a little bit through the cracks. And so where, where does your interest come in, particularly the Eastern Cape? And I mean, to publish two books on the Eastern Cape is, is quite an achievement. Well, it's exactly for that reason. It's fall, fallen between the, the cracks. I'm very much on the side of the underdog, sort of the less written about destinations. Your listeners will probably know me as the guy that wrote Empire War and Cricket, which put Mikey Fontaine on the map. It turned into a bestseller. Um, these quirky little towns that people kind of heard of, but they're not really sure why. And it was kind of destiny that brought me to the Eastern Cape. I I, uh, I sort of uh, compare myself to a salmon. I go against the flow. <laughs> so I came from I came from England originally to South Africa as everybody was going the other way. And I've come from the Western Cape to the Eastern Cape as people are flooding to Cape Town. And for me, there's no better place as a historian. It, it has everything. Hence the word frontier. I feel like I'm on the frontier. I mean, you've got I mean, how far do you want to go back? Yes, the 1820 settlers, but the uh, the Trek Boers were there. There were there were people like Pete Retief, and then of course you had the Great Causa Nation moving westwards. They were going to clash along the Great Fish River. The British built a series of forts that you can still witness today. And then we have, in more recent history, we have some of our great struggle icons. No, no greater, of course, than Nelson Mandela, Steve Biko, Oliver Tambo, Tabo and Becky. These kind of people all came from the Eastern Cape. It really does have everything. And because it's uh, it's kind of our forgotten yeah. province in many respects, um, you know, dear old Port Elizabeth and East London, they're kind of, you know, many, many people regard them as their glory days have gone by, which is maybe the case. But I also believe that with a little bit of TLC and a little bit of, uh, um, can we say, positive, positive um, promotion, which is what I'm trying to do. I think people really do have a nostalgia for the Eastern Cape. There aren't many talks that I give in my public speaking uh, career where somebody hasn't got a direct relationship or they they come from the Eastern Cape and they really are wonderful people. I mean, I live in Port Elizabeth, Quebec, the the friendly city. And and it's true. It is. It's probably for me the friendliest, friendliest place I've ever lived in South Africa. And I love the people wherever I go. Um, so and the reason I've uh, the, actually the reason I, I ended up moving to Port Elizabeth only six months ago was a gentleman called Adrian Gardner, who's uh, quite famous for creating the Shamwari Game Reserve. People would have heard of, I'm sure. And he's been watching me for several years, you know, sort of stalking me. And uh, he's he he. he uh, He's very, very, very diligent businessman. He does his due diligence on, on on anyone he works with. And he phoned me out of the blue one day and said, listen, is that Dean Allen? I said, yes. He said, I've been following you for several years. I get your weekly newsletter, which is tremendous. And he said, I love the work you do. But he said, I've had enough. You keep writing about the Western Cape and places like Mikey's Fontaine and Cape Town. He said, it's about time you came to the Eastern Cape and started to tell people what we do and I said okay so I uh, accepted his invitation and uh, the rest is history because within within a matter of hours in his company um, he's a successful businessman he's, he's got an incredible back career um, he commissioned me to write the story of um, wildlife tourism in the Eastern Cape which is uh, I, I thought it was going to take me a year I'll be lucky if it uh, you know if I can get this done in several years because it's one heck of a story 
Um, but I'm meeting the most incredible people along the way. And of course, being a historian and a, and a kind of a, a, an investigative mind, I get to these weird and wonderful places. And that's where the books Frontierland have come about. Post-COVID, I, I got, got in my car and we travelled, uh, me and my wife, and we travelled to these, these places, you know, the lesser known places. We started off at Craddock and Craddock was the place that inspired me to do this because there's some wonderful people in that that tired old town of Craddock. And one lady called Lisa Kerr, her mother, Sandra Antrobus, they're known for um, the Victoria Manor Hotel that people might know in, in Craddock. And they've renovated Market Street. And they they invited me just after the lockdown and said, Dean, would you, would you not just come to Craddock for a couple of weeks, you know, and do your social media posts and, you know, your positive energy and whatever. We stayed for two months, Deirdre. So don't ever invite, <laughs> don't ever invite me because uh, we might overstay our welcome. But the whole place just inspired me. And that's what inspired me to get in my car and travel to these places I'd only heard of. And but the more I looked into them, the more I, you know, we all use Google and things like that. I thought these places have got an incredible story. But unless you understand the backstory, you would drive through them often because they don't it doesn't look like there's much there. So that's that's in a in a nutshell why the Eastern Cape has come onto my horizon. And I, I can't see myself going anywhere else for quite a while. No, well, I mean, I've, I've been involved in tourism. Wow. Forever as as a as a tour guide. And the Eastern Cape is always one of those places you kind of skip over. Uh, people arrive and they do the Panorama route in Kruger Park. And you go down through Eswatini, Swaziland, through St. Lucia, down into Durban. And then your choice is either you gallop all the way down through the Eastern Cape and you sort of pop out somewhere near PE and then you so-called do the garden route. But the, again, you know, the garden route, now that the, the highway is there, you miss the garden route. You don't do those little channels and those little highways and the bridges and the tunnels and the forests and the little beach. You skip over that and you stop at Storms River and you go to nature's, you know, and then you go screaming off down down the highway again. So you, you, you tend to miss that entire spot. And, you know, in, in my travels, you know, I, I always say people get what I call RSAPS disease as soon as possible. You know, they get on the highway and they want to go somewhere as soon as possible. And one of my favorites is like the NDN one when you drive to Cape Town. You can you can spend 10 days driving to Cape Town. You really can. Just stopping Thanks. at these tiny little towns and these tiny little villages. And I was chatting, I was chatting, I said I was chatting to Simon Green yesterday in the blockhouses. They've got a book symposium going on in a little town called Richmond. Mm. Now, Richmond, if you blink twice, you're through Richmond. You really are. There's nothing there. The highway, you don't even, you don't, I think you've got to slow down to 80. There's not even a stop street. Um, but first and foremost, you miss, first of all, you miss the, one of the best biltong shops on the road. But they've got the most amazing bookstore in there. They've got the Saddle Horse um, Museum in there. There's an old blockhouse in town. Yeah, and that's a tiny little town called Richmond. And part of what I was trying to do with the road trip app is show people that there's actually these things to go and see. You don't have to focus on Cape Town to get to Cape Town. Yes, Cape Town, wonderful spot, not arguing. But spend two days or spend three days down there. Go into these little towns. And, I mean, where, believe it or not, where I got the idea to actually do the road trip app, like I say, I mean, I've been a tour guide for years, and there's not a single tour guide. I challenge any tour guide to know every single statue and memorial and monument in the country. You can't. And you get into some godforsaken little town somewhere, and there's, invariably there's a church street intersecting a four-tracker street, or now it's a Mandela street with a whatever street, and there's some guy sitting on a horse. 
And you go, who is this character? Why have they got this character here? Who, who was he? And that's what we're trying to do. And the little pyramid monuments in towns and things. And it was in, it was in, um, I think it was Beaufort West. Go into town through Beaufort West. You come off the highway, you meander through town. The first part's a bit broken. Then you get into the main town. And uh, there's a little monument there, like a funny little lamp lampposty thing. And I stopped one day and I have a look at this thing. And the family's going, Dad, why are you? And I said, well, I know what this thing is. And it's some other little little monuments raised by subscription by the of the residents for Queen Victoria Centenary or Silver Jubilee or something. You look at this, you go, <laughs> where do you find this in, 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 in these little Karoo towns? You know, and I admire what you're doing with those books. I mean, Frontierland, we've digitized. Well, I digitized what I could on your books. I think there's a whole heap of stuff that's still that's still coming. But where do you see that interface of sort of the the mobile app, the tourism, the printed um, books, maps? You know, people go onto Google. They've got a GPS. They go screaming through areas, and you know, do all of these things fit together? Where do you see this thing? Sort of, sort of fitting in and is how do we promote this how do we get this app out there and get your books out there well i, I think i think exactly that they shouldn't be either or they're complementary a lot of people still want to have that book in their hand when they're exploring um the, the frontier land books have sold very well because my kind of information and history is accessible it's not too highbrow it's in bite-sized chunks um, I try to pick out the kind of stories and the information that I'd want to know about. Um, I based it upon, of course, there's the um, Chris Murray and Julianne de Toy, wonderful books, Carew Space. They encouraged me to write these books. They're based in Craddock, by the way. But their books are more about the characters and the personalities. Whereas if you go through a place like, um, for example, Stainsburg near Craddock, Hofmeyer Stainsburg. Hofmeyer was named after Jan Hofmeyer, the uh, the politician who promoted the Afrikaans language. It's famous for a pink church. That's quite obvious. You go to Stainsburg, another tired little town, and you and all of a sudden, a bit of googling and 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 back in uh, back sort of searching. That was where Paul Kruger was born back in the 1830s. Then you realise, hang on a minute, this is quite a significant agricultural rural area i mean paul kruger was born there um and then for me it is doing what you said it's stopping the car it's walking the streets it's speaking to people a lot of my books have information from people i've interviewed or i get feedback on social media because as you know i use a lot of um i i post quite often on facebook just to see the response and what i'll often I, sometimes i'm corrected which i'm more than open to in terms of information but most of the time people offer wonderful anecdotes and stories and for me that's part of the journey and uh, i mean one of the places that inspired me um you mentioned richmond and of course that's those kind of areas i know no i know the crew very well but the eastern cape has a bit of everything you've got the coastal towns you've got the interior of the crew you've got the beautiful ve vegetation you've got the wildlife you've got that history in terms of real battles i mean yeah, i mean i'm an anglo boer war fundi as you know but there is something about those 100 years war. Nine frontier wars were fought over the space of nine, uh, 100 years. I mean, this, this place exudes a soul. But the place that I was looking for was somewhere that inspired me that could basically be the, good, the, the, the positive story. Because a lot of these towns in the Eastern Cape are tired. They are forgotten. They, are, they do need TLC. 
and a place called Bedford I came across, which is between Craddock and, and uh, Grahamstown there. Bedford, apparently in the early 2000s, was another of these places you couldn't wait to drive through. But now it is absolutely marvellous. And do you know why? Because of two, particularly two institutions within that town. The first is the renovated Duke of Bedford Hotel, which is the centrepiece of the ho- of the town. And that's got a wonderful backstory because uh, a, a rich person from East London came in and, and, and sort of invested in it. But the main point of uh, the uh, regeneration of Bedford is again education. Madiba said education is the thing that's going to carry us forward and he was right the Bedford Country School is that well attended and that well revered that people travel over an hour to take their kids on a daily basis and and through education the community has restored itself youngsters are now staying within bedford they have the bedford flower show every house is pristine and you go through and it's just got a wonderful energy about the place so for me um for me bedford actually is the story i was looking for because often people say to me dean aren't you 20 years too late writing this book i said no I'm exactly the time I should need to write this book. We need to remind people of these forgotten towns and what they stood for and why they're historically important, but also to remind us that people are invested in places like Eastern Cape. And while you're traveling through, you're not just looking as a tourist, you're actually experiencing people's hometown where they've lived all their life. And in the case of Bedford, people are returning to because of the investment. So there are some wonderful stories out there. And, um, yeah, for me, for me, road trip, the app is a way of bringing people to those places. They can open up the information in my book, either online, electronically, or they can carry the book. I've got a lovely map, as you know, which flaps out in the cover so they can use that as your typical road trip. And um, for me, it's complimentary. It shouldn't be one or the other. Mm. So I think we can use all mediums to get people out on the road again. Um, and whether they whether they download your app, whether they buy my book, they're still consuming that information. And hopefully, hopefully they'll benefit the community that they visit. Well, you make an interesting point with this one, because that was part, part of the motivation of me building the app was to get people off those damn highways. Because there's nothing more boring than that into. I love, look, I love driving in Cape Town, but you miss the towns, you miss the life. And you want to get the guy into town to go to the Biltong shop and the Cook Sister shop or go and buy a Shisanyama or something, you know, and put some money into that little town. And it's so inspiring from your side because when I was going through your stuff and you've got those little backstories that these towns seem to be resurrecting. I've also seen, I mean, like I've been traveling for the 30, 35 odd years through South Africa, and you see the little towns decaying. They were going, they were, they were disappearing, they were breaking, the local municipalities were dysfunctional, you know, and some, some of those towns is more pothole than road um, down the main street. And somehow that seems to be turning around. I hope so. I think the one thing we've got in South Africa is hope. If we haven't got hope, we've got nothing. And as I say at my talks, often I go in to talk to a corporate, for example, and they 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 just want reminding that what we have here, I can say with with great authority, because I've tried to live in places like Australia, the United States, I've worked in the United Kingdom, that the grass is not necessarily greener. Other countries have similar problems to us they may not be so obvious but they do have problems in terms of infrastructure in terms of unemployment in terms of a general apathy um, about things getting better what i see here in south africa is the fact that we do realize that this is our country we do we are invested here we that 
you know, the people that are left haven't got on the plane. So they are still coming back to those communities, returning. And often, often they're appreciating, actually, the way of life that you get in some of these forgotten little dorpies. Because, and I think COVID has been, a if, if there's any positive, it's been a reset button for a lot of us. I know it was for me. I was always chasing work. I was running here, there and everywhere. We ended up spending six months, would you believe, on top of the map of Africa, looking over the beach at Wilderness. I mean, talk about a place to spend lockdown. And it was then that I realized that this is where I needed to be, South Africa. And I needed another Mikey's Fontaine, if you know what I mean. My journey had almost run its course there. So the Eastern Cape came calling and I really have found my my home, as it were, because people people are incredible. They're, they're reaching out. And not only you would imagine me with this accent and being sort of a white foreigner, I'm being contacted by different groups of people for example i found myself only six weeks ago at the homestead of chief mccormer's family chief mccormer was one of the greatest revered warriors of the causa nation who basically was killing my ancestors the brits who were here 150 years ago <laughs> this family has reached out to me to tell his story which is which is a remarkable remarkable privilege and it's those kind of opportunities that i'm getting in the eastern cape almost i see myself as the messenger Deirdrick, and I think we both are. We like we like to spread information, make it accessible, not necess- not necessarily be the authority. I mean, you had Simon on yesterday, and he's the authority on blockhouses. You don't have to be the expert on the Eastern Cape or blockhouses because you get the right people in. And that's what I do as well. I make sure that I interview and I speak to the right people who have the knowledge and also who have a good story because story sells travel story stories and and history is what makes travel so enriching and like you said let's get off the highways and let's let's travel those back roads again you know exactly I, I sit there with coach loads of, of of foreigners and i mean my my biggest clients come out of the u.s i'm an agent here for a for a major operator who sends me coach loads like 80 people at a time and you start on the history and you can see these guys, you can see the cogs of turning and they've never heard of this. They don't know about it. It, it just doesn't feature. And our history, when you go straight back, I mean, up the road from me, we've got the Stokefontein Caves. Hello. You know, humankind started here. And yeah. then you've got all these influences. You've got the Dutch East India Company. You've got the British settlers. You've got the Kozas. You've got the Zulus. You've got the Foot Trekkers. You've got the Anglo-Boer Wars. You've got the Anglo-Zulu Wars. You've got, you know, all of this in one massive, massive melting pot. And those stories need to get told. That stuff's got to yeah. get out there somehow. And, and the, 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 the challenge, the challenge, of course, sorry to jump in. And mm. I'm, a, I'm a teacher, a university lecturer. I was giving an online um course on history and politics today to a group of students in china the thing is is to make it relevant to that audience so they can see the relevance of what they're experiencing there in front of them so i always say history is best told through stories and trying to relate it and compare to where they're from and i know the americans i don't want to be stereotypical here but sometimes they're quite parochial but lots of nations are but thankfully the the people you're dealing with have, have paid the money and taken the time and energy to visit south africa so we need to make sure they leave with a a positive but an informed picture of what this country stands for and what it did stand for so if you travel through these little dorps in the in the eastern cape if you go to a place like fort beaufort for example visit the the site of the martello tower that the british built in 1853 tell them it was one of the few 
few towers of its any of that kind since the Napoleonic Wars. Why yeah. were the British here? What were they doing? Yeah. Create that story and say they were basically, then this was a fortified town. You can show them the officer's mess. You can explain who their enemy was, why they were fighting, why they were there. And I think that kind of that kind of picture and, and it makes it such an enjoyable thing to be able to write or take tours that you do because you can still see those those monuments to history that you can still see not monuments you can still see the actual evidence of history mm. a lot of it looks tired and uh, uh, you know the signage is broken but they, it still exists there and i do believe i've written these books and perhaps engaged with the likes of you at exactly the right time because often uh, really tourists today want a different experience they don't want the disneyland they don't want the sanitized you know, pure kind of waterfront in Cape Town and da-da. They want something different. They want to step on the grounds where people st stood before. That's why battlefield tours are so popular at the moment, because there's something, there's something about the soul of a place which I often find that inspires me. I stop my car. My wife often says, we take a two-hour journey. It takes two days because I won't rush through anywhere. And, it, and, and, and the first thing I do, the first thing I do is I go into the local pub or the hotel, which is often the, and I, and I, I talk to people in there and I look on the walls and often, often you have the most magnificent old historical photos because these local towns appreciate their own history, but often it needs an outsider sometimes to come in and tell it for them. Don't you agree? No, look, absolutely. You, you, when, when you go into these spots, you always see it with new eyes. And somebody who lives there actually sort of tends to overlook it because it's every day. Whereas you come in from outside and you go, wow, what, what, am, I, what am I looking at? And on a, on a couple of my podcasts, I, I, I highlight the spots that make my hair stand up on end. There's a couple of places I go to, and it's places like Isan Juana. It's places like Blood River. It's, I don't know how well you know, you, you, well, you've got to know Springfontein. And mm. there's in Springfontein, there's that little, there's there's that children's cemetery on the side yeah. of town. That place makes my hair stand up. Give me three places in from Frontierland that make it where your hair stands up. Well, well, if anybody watching this, I, I haven't got any hair to stand up. First of all, <laughs> so that would be quite a, that would be quite a challenge. Maybe the hair on my chest, but certainly, unfortunately, not the hair on my head. But apart from that. No, I, I, I totally get what you're trying to say. First of all, I've got to make reference to dear old Craddock. It wasn't so much a, a hair-raising moment, but it was I found a place that I could really get my uh, teeth into. It had so many wonderful stories. Market Street, for example. I was staying in the home of um, uh, William Folds, the, the Victoria, the Victoria Cross, Cross guy. You know, incredible. I'm staying in his home. You know, this guy... It carried comrades from no man's land in Delville Wood to win the VC. Then next door, there's Lion's House, apparently the home of a Danish family that used to export exotic African game back to the zoos of Europe. I mean, and and then you're <laughs> and the first line of my book in Craddock, the welcome is as big as the potholes in Craddock, because that place has got potholes, I'm telling you. But <laughs> Joking aside, that 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 is certainly one place that uh, that that inspires me. And uh, and then on the road, Lady Grey was an interesting place as well for me. Lady Grey, beautiful valley, uh, takes some getting to. And you had the the incredible story of the of the railway in that area that links Aliwell North. The, the, yeah, the, 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 
yeah the zigzag railway that linked Aliwal North and um, uh, Barclay East, of course, and it went through Lady Grey. And then you had the story, the tragedy of how the railway stopped. You know, there was an accident on the railway and there's still a monument to the, the this. I won't go into it. You'll have to read the book. But again, those human stories, those tragedies also are part of it. So Lady Grey in that area certainly has a different kind of feel. And then, well, uh, my first visit really to Pondoland, to, to, to the trans guy down on the coast, Port St. John's. Um, I, I, I'd never felt, I've visited, I've traveled lucky enough a lot of the world and I'd never felt a place so near to the Caribbean. And then the, the, the atmosphere down there, I mean, I'm not going to say what they're smoking, but they're, they're laid back people down on the coast. Um, but, but you had this curious mix of sort of old colonial buildings, this real sense of Africa. You literally had to clear the cattle from the beach if you wanted to lie on the beach. The cattle, you know, you see those images and you think, oh, that's I bet that's staged. No, there's cattle everywhere on, the, on these paradise beaches. And, and then I thought to myself, how lucky am I and how lucky are we as a family to, to be able to travel this beautiful land and i'm not just talking eastern eastern cape of course but the whole of south africa but the eastern cape literally has everything you've got that yeah, i've mentioned craddock so that's that old historic market town that perhaps is past past its sell by date but it has incredible stories you go up into the mountains somewhere like lady gray and the, you know the wonderful sort of vistas and then down on the coast well like i say you can find yourself in the caribbean i mean port st john's it, i mean it takes i think it takes something like an hour and a half to travel the 40 kilometers down the road to get there but then that's what protects these places the the windy roads the speed bumps the taxis the animals and those kind of things and i think uh tourists tourists educated tourists and those tourists that want to experience a real soul and a depth to a country i would advise them to come to the eastern cape every time i look at people who arrive in cape town they go up that wonderful mountain they 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 eat uh, a, a wonderful steak at the waterfront but if they've really got the soul of the country and how many actually travel outside the, the the farthest they often go is Stellenbosch of course and the beautiful winelands but for me the eastern cape is the south africa i fell in love with back in the 90s when miss van der merwe brought me to south africa <laughs> and i i felt i felt like i was I was I was special. I was somewhere I was I was somewhere different. Now, of course, a Cape Town or a Johannesburg or perhaps even a Durban. I mean, every other person is, is is from overseas, whereas the Eastern Cape still has that real soul. And I think we we tend to forget it. You said that as a tour guide. So my role is now is to make sure you bring those tourists to the Eastern Cape, and I will spin the stories and we'll make sure they come back again. <laughs> no, because South Africa is an amazing place, and you go you you go back in history, and again, if we take tourism. Yes, they obviously go to Cape Town. I mean, Table Mountain on a, on a crystal clear day. I mean, I, I every single time I've gone to Cape Town, I will go up Table Mountain. There's a lot of places I sit sit and have a cup of coffee, let the tourists do their thing and come back. I will go up Table Mountain every, every single time. You find a rock and you just sit there and you just look and you just, you drink in that view. You really do. It's the same as like Sani Pass. Sani Pass, I will go up Sani Pass every single time, bumpy as it is, to sit on top of that mountain pass and look at that valley and just in just just drink it in and experience the, the Basutu way of life and stuff like that. You know, but South Africa, right from 1600, you've got 1600, mid-1600s, off you go, you start off from Cape Town, and yet 1879, the Zulus were still throwing spears at the British. And we've got the veterans of Isantwana. We've actually got them on electronic media telling their stories. Yeah. Now, what other countries got that? I mean, that is unbelievable history. 
And I love I love your saying that the soul, the soul of the country. Maybe that's yeah. what we christen the Eastern Cape to go see the soul of the country. It needs it needs a tagline, and I think that that's as uh, I mean that's why where the word Frontierland came from. And I kind of stole a little bit from the from the signage. They call it Frontier Country, of course, but I, you know I just sort of changed that slightly. Uh, Frontierland. I feel like I'm at the frontier. I feel like there's still. It's almost where the country was was born in terms of those struggles, in terms of the conflicts. Remember, the cause of people were fleeing. You know, they were coming west. They were go, that uh, you know they were coming away from the the, the great Zulu nation that was that that had that sort of military might. And then the the Europeans, not just the English. We tend to think of the Eastern Cape as being very English, but the Afrikaners were there. They they'd already staked their claim. I mean, then the English arrive again as they do when things are things are you know there's something great lands great agricultural areas lovely climate when I mean, we talk about the climate but as you say the soul it feels like africa to me again sometimes i think you know other parts of south africa the wonderfully developed beautiful um you know facilities we got in places like cape town and santon mm. and these kind of places. but but it's africa that i miss when i went back to europe and and where do i find that i find that in the people and I find that in the places. The other thing that we have got going for us in, in the Eastern Cape, more so than anywhere else, is our is our um, you know proximity to wildlife and great areas of of of, of rewilded landscape, which is what I'm writing about at the moment. So you deal with tourists. I think if you can educate tourists, if they can kind of get a place, they can then look under the skin and they won't look at sort of everything at face value. They'll understand that this is a place emerging again. And I've been dealing with people in conservation and they, they've actually chosen Eastern Cape for these major projects in terms of changing the way we live. I mean, our, our, our world is get, is overcrowded. We are we are going nowhere. And they're looking to open up great swathes of land again to almost rewild it again so that the planet can breathe. And, and according to them, the Eastern Cape is the only viable place in South Africa for that to happen. So, again, it's, it's, it's really quite an important area, you know, and um, for me. And, and the other thing that tourists like, the value. It's a lot cheaper than those other places I mentioned. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a wonderful place to live because... You know, you can you can still get a you can still get a decent main meal under a hundred bucks, and then where else can you say that in South Africa? You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, Dean, thank thanks so much for for joining joining me on this one. Um, just quickly, your books are they available in major bookstores? Is it online? How do people find your books? No, thank you. Um, uh, we've just created an online shop um called uh, shopify which is the platform if you google dean allen shopify you'll see that shop you can you can uh, you can order the books and we'll post them to anywhere in south africa all all the all my books are available so both frontier lands we've got volume three coming out next year we've got a lovely little book called this uh, this day in history or this week uh, which is based upon my this week in history newsletter so please sign up to that and of course my empire war and cricket continues to sell jenny chris williams said to me the book lady dean if you sell two thousand copies of a book about mikey spontane you've done well we're, we're nearing seventeen thousand now deirdrick so this, <laughs> this 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 book this book uh 
has uh, paid a little bit towards my bond over the years. But uh, no, joking aside, if you if you'd like to go on online and just put Dean Allen Shopify, you can get hold of my books there. Mm. And if if not, please do follow me on social media and especially on Facebook, where I I do put a lot of sort of I hope interesting information out. And I've got over a hundred thousand followers now, which is quite incredible. Um, so I must be doing something okay. Awesome. Okay, and of course the links on the app, all your postings on the Eastern Cape, have got the links to your to your pages and your and your Shopify spot to get hold of those books, guys. I can only recommend that they are really, really awesome books on the Eastern Cape, and uh, your car is not going to be that much heavier if you put two more volumes in, along with your bird books and animal books and and maps. If you even if you still use maps, I see I watch people turning maps upside down and they're driving from 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 north to south. So instead of using the GPS, Dean, great chatting to you, man. Yeah, really, really appreciate it, and good luck. And I hope we start chat again in the future. No, I'm sure we will. Thank you so much for your time, and good luck with all you do as well. Thank you so much.